Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? I hope you're getting through the week. Oh, decide today. What are you going to do today that's rooted in rest and self-care and joy and pleasure? We're carving time for that every day. And if not, then you don't have work and life balance, as we say. We can't be working 40 hours a week and only resting a few, right? I want everyone to be working four-day work weeks, at least three days off, and I want those days off to have your phone off, and I want you to be rooted in joy, pleasure, and socialization. Don't be doing any work over the weekends. See your friends, see your family members, sleep in, watch a movie, go hiking, no work. I want us to get down to a four-day work week. Everyone deserves that. That's balance right? We need to have time to settle down to then step into the things we need to do. We work all weekend long and then the weekends we come flying in and we still have other work to do from the week, some cleaning up and all that. It's a mess. That's not cool. Ugh, we got to get better about that. But every single day we should be taking some time for rest, a little bit of joy and pleasure, some self-care. That's how we, you know, build out a better world. Remember, we're not trying to do hundred percent anymore. We're not trying to burn out. Just do enough, do good enough, do enough. You know what I mean? Whatever you're getting paid for, do it to that limit. You know what I mean? We work to pay our bills. Just do what needs to be done. We're doing 60 or 70%. We're not killing ourselves or burning ourselves out. We're coming home, still having some energy, spending time with our loved ones. And then on our days off, we're completely focused on rest and self-care. It's a beautiful thing. That's how we take care of ourselves. Um, I wanted to open the show by talking about people's regrets. And this is based on a lot of research looking at people that work with end of life uh, people at the end of their lives, um, death and dying. A lot of really interesting things kind of come out of it. Um, a lot of the intense ongoing regrets stem from poorly made big life decisions. So there's a few key things that fall under the biggest life decisions that us as humans have to step into. And a lot of the regrets come out of looking back at what we decided to do, right? Uh, biggest regrets tend to relate to a couple major domains. Number one is relationships. Those are what the biggest regrets when people are on their deathbeds due to illness, disability, or aging. Um, they look back at their relationships. We can fix that now. That's why I'm always saying prioritize your relationships. That should come before all else. You got your son's soccer game? Be there. Put it before all else. You, you, you're married or in a relationship? Put them, make them, make them more important. That's what our lives are rooted in. That's what our mental health is rooted in. Our brains, our nervous systems, they're social, they're relational. That's where our most self-worth is gonna come from. Um, also, regrets came from actions that were not taken. We're gonna dive deeper into all this. I'm kind of giving you a little bit of the headlines just to kind of tease you a little bit. Um, but regrets can be potentially avoided by making decisions consistent with your values. And that's really important. Take that tip away in general. Make sure your decisions are always made based on your values. I always do that. Whenever I'm asked to do something, um, in any capacity, socially, with family, uh, work, endorsements, jobs, whatever it is, I always say, is that, a, is that how's that going to impact my mental health? And is it ethical, what they're asking, how I'm going to be treated, the impact, the people involved? Um, it's not just about making money. It's about what is the impact? What is my role? How will that impact me? It's always something we need to consider, but end-of-life regrets are tied to that. Um, so again, uh, some of these are small, quickly forgotten. You know, we ain't worried about those, but others become what they call, I like this word, salient sliding door moments. Salient sliding door moments. Those are the more powerful moments where we have opportunities and decisions need to be made and they're gonna impact us. Um, but reflecting on the most enduring regrets is important because they usually link back to big life decisions. So uh, before we get into exactly what are they, what do we regret? And so this is coming out of a big representative study 
a um, couple hundred and hundreds of Americans. They again broke it down into some domains. The most reported domain with regrets, as we said earlier, involved romance. That was significantly high. Right after that was family. Again, we're still in the relationship heading. These are all relationships. Romantic is the first and then family. Then right under that, regrets are about education. What they did or didn't do or how they did, right? Then it goes into career and then it goes into finance and then parenting. Interesting that parenting is the last, uh, but again, family is further up, so it might be more tied to that. But uh, finance is pretty much at the bottom, right above parenting. People don't look back with regret about money. And yet we spend our, a lot of our lives focused exclusively on that. Ain't that something? <laughs> Ain't that something? Uh, but again, another way we can learn about life's regrets is by listening to those that care for the dying. And uh, yeah, so the five most common wishes that came out of an Australian palliative caregiver who wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of Dying kind of broke it down into five main headings. Uh, when we come back, we'll break down what those were. I thought they're really interesting because again, it's that odd attempt to look backwards while still in that past, right? Because we're in the present, we're thinking ahead to end of life to then look backward at where we are now to then move forward with different values. See that? Does that make any sense to y'all? It made sense to me when I was doing it. You couldn't see me. I was doing my hand forward and backward and forward. You got to see the visual sometimes. Um, but yeah, so when we come back, we're going to talk about what are the biggest regrets and how can we build them in, start to reprioritize them, start to center them. So we'll be doing that. And then, of course, we'll be gliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And as always, past episodes of Loveline are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my name, click on it. Bam, bam, blam. There they all are. Uh, let's see. Let's see. I got to get my good old clothes out. Oh, there it is. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q brought to you by Astroglide. Take a little break. We'll be back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we're back and we're looking at life regrets. Um, really beautiful stuff, actually. And in the beginning, we were just kind of talking about the different domains and how this work is coming out of a lot of end of life caregivers who work with people who are, you know, on their deathbeds and they're really looking at what are the kinds of things that people look back and regret? You know, some of these longer term decisions carry with people, you know, um, smaller ones, we kind of let go, but some of them, you know, we carry it forward and we talked about some of the different domains. So what are the five most common wishes that, uh, the author of a book about, you know, regrets of the dying said that she hears the most from people she works with. First one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expected of me. So again, that's a pretty broad statement, right? So basically adhering to cultural norms at the expense of your own passions can leave you off feeling disappointed or bitter at the end of your life. Because you realize, what did I do with my time? What's my legacy? Was my legacy pleasing everyone else? Why? Or was my legacy did it my way and did it in a way that made sense to me? Well, it's gonna make you feel a lot better. So ask yourself, 
is your life rooted in following norms and fitting in and assimilating to the detriment of what's interesting to you or what you have passion for to the detriment of your authenticity? If so, end of life, you might have disappointments and bitterness. I love that. Let me say it again. The, 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 uh, the regret was, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. We often do that based on our race, our gender, orientation, uh, our family, norms in our family, or our position in family, um, gender, culture, all these different pieces. Religion will sometimes trap us. I see clients dealing with it all the time. They need to date someone of a certain religion or they have to have a certain career, like all these different pieces. And it's heartbreaking because you can see the turmoil. They're like, that's not who I am. That's not what I want. But I feel as though I need to do that. It's like, stop trying to please everyone else. Uh, the second most common wish was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Time's non-refundable, so if you spend it working, then you can't spend it doing more meaningful things. Well, I'm always telling people to work less. Shrink down your workday. Four-day workdays, six hours would be ideal, so we have the rest of the time to actually do what we're here for. Our purpose on Earth and what's tied to mental health and happiness is living a life rooted in purpose and meaning, and that's often not what people are doing at their jobs. So hear that. The number, second, the number two one was, wish I, had, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I'm always trying to work less. I'm always trying to prioritize relationships and pleasure and joy. I want you all to do that as much as you can as well. Not everyone can do it in the same extreme ways everyone else can, but do it to the best you can. You know, take your vacation time, take days off. If you're sick, take a sick day. If you can work less, work less, you know? But again, the second greatest regret was I wish I didn't work so hard because they were busy grinding away, helping other people make money off their labor and not really participating in the world in the way they want. It's a bummer. The third one, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. So it is only by being open and honest about your thoughts and feelings you can form genuine bonds with other people. So you miss out on this relational piece because that's how we connect with others. That's intimacy, right? But feeling as though you hadn't expressed your feelings. Imagine dying, looking back, saying, I wasn't able to fully be present with those I wanted to in the ways I wanted to. They didn't get to know me. I didn't get to know them fully because I said what I thought I had to say or I was afraid to really be vulnerable. I was afraid to really express myself. I was afraid to be seen. I was afraid to occupy space. Also, someone said, I wish I, uh, sorry, not I, someone said, but these are the five biggest categories. The next one was, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Notice how they're all about relationships. It's dispiriting to be disconnected from those you really care about, especially if you're not seeing them. And in not seeing them, you're not even happy with what it is you're spending your time doing. That's why people have those later in life breakthroughs where they're like, what have I been doing with my life? What have I been prioritizing? What have I been, what have I been missing out on? So again, wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And then the last one was, I wish I'd let myself be happier. It's a big one. Uh, they said the expectations and opinions of others should not prevent you from being happy with who you are. Moreover, happiness can be found in the journey, not the destination, which you never reach. And I always say that too. The studies show all the time, happiness is rooted in contentment. And contentment's about being happy with what you have and focusing on your life having purpose and meaning. What are the things you enjoy doing? What are the things you enjoy being a part of? But here there's major categories again. The, the top five regrets of all the dying people she worked with for decades was number one, wish I had the courage to live my life true to myself. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Number four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. Number five, I wish I'd let myself be happier. That is, that is amazing. You know what I mean? So again, whenever you're asked to do something or participate in something, look at the current structure of your job, of your, of your responsibilities with the family. What about you? What about what you need? Do you have downtime? Are you seeing friends? Are you seeing family members? Are you seeing loved ones? What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your energy? It's all full circle. So really zero in on that. Um, and these regrets, if you, if you work on it ahead of time, you don't actually have to, to get to that place. Because a lot of these, they said, um, I'm reading like a caveat, said the feelings of regret, regret in the long time are more likely rooted in decisions involving inaction. So it's about choosing not to do something. So it's about opportunities that you walked away from or missed. Um, I think that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, so what are the takeaways? First, most enduring regrets relate to social relationships. Second, the most intense regrets are for decisions that are hard to justify in retrospect. So to avoid regrets, it's important to make decisions that are consistent with your personal life rules and values. Even if things turn out poorly, you'll know why the decision made sense for you at the time. And then finally, third, the biggest regrets tend to relate to the things you didn't do, perhaps because you were scared or too busy working. It's easier to course correct after taking action 
than to time travel and pursue opportunities left behind. Uh, so let that be inspiring to you. You know, take a little bit of a, um, you know, look around and say, which of these pieces do I need to step into, right? How can I implement this? Um, really important stuff because there's a point in our lives where it really does get far along and we are then looking back at what has already come and gone. And so whatever position you are in your life now, you still got some time to decide how the rest is going to go. So really rooted in happiness and mental health, you know? Um, okay. If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs. We'll be gliding into those later. Anything you want to hear about, let us know. Topic or something you want me to clarify, drop deeper into or any questions you got. Someone else might be wondering the same thing. So you're helping them out when you're helping yourself out. And also past episodes of Loveline are always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face and click on it. Bam, there they are. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we're back. And um, <clears throat> interesting report. I, I, I love all the different research on affairs. It's, it's most people's biggest fear. Oh my God, as long as they don't cheat on me. It's fascinating how it's the biggest fear, even though it's very resolvable. If a couple loves each other, it's, we can learn and grow from it. Trust me, I'm not saying it's okay. It's one of the most heinous things you can do to someone, mainly because of the way we are socialized to perceive these things and the way we run our relationships. So culturally, we've set it up to be so profoundly painful. And I think if we ran relationships better in a more loving way, I talk about all the time in my books, Rebel Love and Sex Outside the Lines, and of course here on Love Line, I'm always... And I've written tons of articles. If you want to read some of my articles, Google Chris Donahue and Medium. Medium is a uh, website that houses authors' articles. And I have a lot of my work on there. And uh, again, it's Medium. That's the hosting site, Chris Donahue and the word Medium. And it should bring you right up to my page. But um, if we ran our relationships in a more loving way, people wouldn't feel so suffocated, right? And people, they might be healthier. They'd be more care and respect. And that's part of the way we prevent cheating from happening is helping create the kind of relationship or partnership where no one wants to create harm, but also where we're approachable and we can have difficult conversations because cheating is a solution to something. Unless the person's a total jerk and just doesn't care and is a narcissist like Targar Woods was. It wasn't a sex act. That's not a real thing. He just didn't care about how he impacted others and had no impulse control, right? So we're, we're not talking about those people. We're talking about the people where they do care, they do love, but situations happen. Um, so this, the, right now we're looking at a new study and the authors explored eight different motivations for the beginning of an affair. The number one was anger. I mean, really sit with that one. So they have the affair at the partner they're angry at. Second one is sexual desire. I was, you know, I guess they had desire for someone or they didn't have desire for their partner anymore. We'll dig deeper. Third reason, lack of love. All these are reasons to have conversations. If I'm that angry at you that I want to harm you in the relationship by cheating, you need to be able to sit down and talk about it. But most likely that kind of relationship doesn't allow those kinds of conversations. Sexual desire. Again, I want people to have a transparent and honest enough relationship where they can say, honey, I'm missing sexuality or eroticism. Or can we talk about how I'm feeling? Same thing with the lack of love. That should be something a committed partnership should be able to talk about. You know what I mean? I'm not sure if I'm in love anymore. Let's talk about ways to really reconnect to the love that we had or still have. Like these are, these are things that should be able to be talked about, not dealt with by someone cheating because they're struggling in silence because they won't bring it up or their partner isn't approachable. Make sure you are approachable. Make sure you guys have practiced having difficult, hard to hear conversations. The, otherwise, you can't play shocked when they said, I can't talk to you. <laughs> be approachable. Parents, I'm talking to you as well. We can't, why does my kid lie to me? Because you're not approachable. Why is my kid withhold information? Because you aren't safe for them to tell you the truth to. That's why. Um, low self-esteem, low commitment. Again, things we should be able to talk about. Neglect, should be able to talk about it. Uh, I like this one. The seventh reason was situation presented itself. So that's about boundaries and impulse control. And finally, variety. Something we also should be able to talk about. Um, but of course this is very heterocentric and they just say men and women. So I'm assuming they mean cis. Like, I don't know what these words mean anymore. Um, was it trans and cis people or just cis people? Cause if it was just cis gendered people, let me know. Were they straight or gay? Right. Cause that matters, but apparently everyone's straight. So if they say men and women we're, we're to assume they're straight. So the key points were men and women did not differ in their self reports of sexual frequency with their affair partners. Okay. That's not meaningful to me. Women were more likely to confess their affairs to their primary partner. I like that because that means maybe you can talk it out, work it through. 
right? Where if you don't talk about it, well then whatever was causing the problem might never go, might never get addressed. And then finally, men were more likely than women to say that sex was better with their far, affair partners than their primary partners. But again, like, cool, but like, let's talk that out. There's ways to improve a sex life with your partner. And if you're going to be in a committed and monogamous relationship, you need to be able to talk about that. Um, I don't know. That, that research was not that meaningful or powerful for me. But I guess the takeaways are, like I said, create the kind of relationship where you can have difficult and hard-to-hear conversations, right? Like, be approachable. And that's why everything is a moment where you are telling your partner, we can talk about things or you're telling your partner, we can't. And that's how we lay the foundation, right? Because everyone in the relationship is responsible for the affair. That's what I always say. It's very rare that it came out of nowhere. Usually we all have a piece in there. And I'm not saying that the person who was cheated on is, is, is not a victim. You are. But at some point we have to look at what role might have you participated in so you can learn about yourself and how you can be better. We all have work to do. We all always have work to do. And a relationship is a system, right? So we want to look at what can we do to make sure we're creating the kind of relationship where these things can happen to the best of our ability, right? And it's always usually about create a kind of relationship that feels good to everyone. Keep being able to talk and express your feelings about sex and attraction and desire. And also make it so that you're able to have hard to have conversations. We have to be approachable in that way. That is, that is massive. I can't tell you how many issues would be resolved if couples had practice and were able to say, this is hard to say, this is gonna be hard to hear, but it's important that we talk about this and then they follow through and they do. And when I hear couples doing that, I feel so confident with, in them handling almost anything, right? The soft startups, staying calm and loving, hearing things that are hard to hear, talking about how the relationship's going, what needs to be changed. That's all we can count for. That's all we can uh, hold ourselves accountable to. We're doing the best we can, right? All right, y'all, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, pass over to the Loveline are over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris, brought to you by Astroglide. Take a little break. We'll be back. All right, we're back. And now it's time to glide into those DMs, brought to you by Astroglide. Gliding into the DMs. DMs are always open. Anything you got for us, drop it on in there. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, having some issues with my friend group. There's been five of us since high school. Oh, I love that. We graduated in 09. I love that, friends since high school. Beautiful. I know, I, uh, I know that it's natural for friends to drift apart, but I sometimes feel like I'm forcing a friendship with them. I'm always asking them to hang out, plan trips, and out of every 10 times I ask, Usually I get about one yes. Are my best, these are my best friends, but is it time to move on? Um, yeah, it looks like the answer is yes. I, I don't know what to say other than if you keep asking and they're not often available or interested, then yeah. The, the solution isn't just hang in there unless those one times are meaningful. I mean, look, here's the deal. What, what's really hard for some people to understand depending on what's going on in their own life is that as we get older, our responsibilities change, our energy levels change, what we feel interesting and what we're open to changes. And not everyone's able to communicate that. I don't know if these friends now have families, they're in relationships, maybe they have other friends, maybe they're very taxing jobs, maybe they now, because of all the above, go to bed early. Um, I don't know. But if every time you reach out 10 times, one time you get a yes, why does that one yes not have value? What a great night you got to have that one time. So awesome. Um, why does it need to be a yes more than that one time? Let that one time be enough. But if it isn't for whatever reason, well then, yeah, clearly they're not available or interested, right? We, we don't want to chase people because that means we're not often honoring their boundary. But you could check in with them. Hey, I'm always trying to put things together. I appreciate that we're all really busy. If, you know, if this just is, I don't know. I wouldn't even know how to formulate that. I think their inability to see you 90% of the time is a communication that either the timing's not right or they're not interested. So let that one time be enough or yes, you need to move on. The work falls on you. I don't always wanna tell people to go get more clarification, which of course you can reach out to them. They've been your best friend since high school. You could check in, hey, do you guys not enjoy these events I try to put together? But I also don't wanna knock that one time. The one time they said yes was a time that they did and that can be meaningful. Like I don't see all of my friends every single week. Some of my friends I see maybe twice a year and I'm thankful for those two times a year. They're not less meaningful or less important because it's only once or twice a year. So maybe you have to accept that you have more free time or more energy or more social interest than they do. And that's okay. That one time is awesome. 
because you still see them, right? Or move on. But maybe it's also time to get more friends. I think the harshness or the letdown would be less severe if you had other friends that you can do things with and then it's great when you can see them and when you don't you got other people to do things with so i think you maybe need more going on in your life more friends because i don't know why there's so much pressure for them to show up more you know they're busy look it's difficult as we get older people usually put less responsibility and value behind socialization um or they don't you know but um let go, move on, enjoy that one time, you know? It's so interesting how we really only validate things that are forever or consistent. We say that all the time about relationships and marriage. Just because they didn't go on forever doesn't mean they didn't have worth and value or it was a failure, but people will say that. Oh, my relationship was a failure, why? We broke up. Well, then it's a success. It went as far as it was meant to, and when it wasn't working anymore, you left. Like, the length of time of something doesn't determine its worth or value. So your friend seeing you one time out of 10, cool, thank God for that one time. You know what I mean? But we have to stop devaluing things because they're not consistent or close. Things drift, things change. So build in, build in more friends, build in more into your life, be thankful for that one time, and, and, and know that like we're not in high school anymore. You know, other priorities shift. I often have other things that are important to me that I'm putting before friends. Like, like you know, the second phase of life is about us finding meaning and purpose in the world. So I'm working on other other things in my life. Uh, socialization for me personally isn't as important anymore. It is for a handful of people, but my world got smaller. I'm thankful for the closeness I have with those around me, and I'm turning down a lot of things as well. Not everyone wants to be part of a large social network or even, you know, stepping out in those ways. Um, but hang in there. You know, there's so many things you can do with your time and other individuals. There's lots of people always looking to reconnect. So maybe focus on those that do want to spend time with you and less on those that don't. Um, all right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about how to reconnect to our sexuality. Oh, yes. To ourselves and our sexuality because a lot's changed. Um, and uh, then we'll be gliding back into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris brought to you by Astroglide. Stick around. We'll be back. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about how to reconnect with your eroticism. Ah, I know a lot of people are feeling really disconnected from themselves, their bodies, their eroticism from other people, from touch, right? Uh, our bodies have changed. Everything's different. We were stressed, we were tired, and that's why I was laughing at the beginning of the pandemic when they're like, ah, oh, maybe there'll be a baby boom because everyone's home. Are you kidding? People were tired, bored, burnt out, frustrated, panicked. Relationships falling apart, people fighting. We definitely did not have a baby boom. We had a divorce boom. <clears throat> people are now trying to kind of, you know, figure out, follow through, decide if that's still right for them. But uh, we have to normalize the idea that a lot of people feel really disconnected from their partners, their bodies, them, their selves, their sexuality. But there's ways to get back to it. First, we want to go back to what was it like before the pandemic? That doesn't mean that that's your more honest eroticism. That doesn't mean that that's the goal. Because remember, eroticism is an open-ended, ever-changing system. It should always be growing, evolving, incorporating new things in, shedding things, right? It's, it's bigger than just what gender choice you like or the things you're turned on by. We gotta be open to shift and change. That's the healthy perspective I try to give people, especially when they're young. I'll say to them, remember, it ebbs and it flows. At no point can we panic because at no point is this what it will finally look like. It's, there's always a change coming. It might get a little worse, might get a little better, it might be diametrically different. We might start exploring a different gender choice or different forms of sexuality or kink. But just know, wherever you're at right now, whether it's great or horrible, it will change. So we look at what it was like before to get a sense of maybe who we want to be again, who we don't want to be again, uh, an idea of maybe like what we can try to move back towards. It becomes somewhat of like an initial jumping off point. So sit with yourself. <clears throat> what are some of the things that you used to do to make yourselves feel in touch with your sexuality? I love to start honest and open. What are the things that usually triggered sexual arousal or desire for sex with yourself or sex for other? Because remember, some people are partnered in terms of their sexuality and other people are solo sex where it's maybe more geared towards sex with themselves and some people are asexual where they don't have sexual desire so we're looking at who was i before very asexual not really driven towards sex with self or other was i partnered sexual where i was driven towards sex with others or sex towards self and we start there right and then we move out towards just prioritizing oh god it's a fascinating how we have this idea that if we schedule something create space for something that it's less real less true no 
Remember, we schedule vacations, still amazing when we get there. We might schedule the restaurant we're gonna eat at, still awesome when we arrive, on time. We might schedule a menu for a meal we're gonna make or a dessert, still delicious when you eat it. We buy movie tickets, we plan a movie, still great when we see it. Sex isn't any different. It's something to look forward to. It's something to be excited about. You don't get excited leading up to the movie you want to see that came out or a game you want to see that you got tickets for or on the way to your vacation. You're not like, ah, well, we had to plan it, so it's not going to be as much fun. You don't say that. Don't make sex or time with a partner or self any different from that. It still is worth and meaning, but we have to carve out time. And we have to remember it's important for resilience, right? It, it tells us that it's important to us. So build in that time. Um, it's cause again, this whole segment is about how do we reconnect? How do we reprioritize? How do we get back to, we have to leave the time for it because remember sometimes it, and we, we don't honor transition enough. We need to always also look at transition. What's before, what am I heading towards? It can't be, I'm working till six and then I'm scheduling time for myself or my partner or eroticism at seven. And we think we're going to just, you know, drive in the driveway, throw off our work clothes and, and slide right into eroticism. It doesn't work like that. We need to transition. So you have to build in transition time. What, how much time do I need between work and personal time? Right? Like we transition out, we transition in. So that's part of building in this time that you're prioritizing. Also, we have to be okay with the fact that we have a different relationship to our body, but that is called human nature, aging illness, disability, injury, medications, mental health struggles, they will all change our bodies as a result of directly changing our body or impacting our lifestyle choices, which change our body. But your bodies are always changing. We have to get familiar with that. Get rid of a, a, an idealized body. Please take down the pictures you have up of the idealized body. You might never have that because of genetics and lifestyle, or you might only for a period of time, and then you might have to ebb and flow out of that because life shows up. So recognize that we have to be familiar with different kinds of bodies, which is also why I say, make sure you're watching and fantasizing and watching porn of diverse bodies. Make sure you're watching porn that reflects back the kind of body you have and the kind of body your partners have. That's also part of eroticizing ourselves, is making sure we're eroticizing ourselves, which means eroticizing bodies like ours. If you're constantly masturbating to or fantasizing about bodies that are distinct from yours or the kinds of partners you have sex with, you are hardwiring in and solidifying and strengthening that I need that to be aroused. You're wiring that in deeply to your arousal. Undo that. Watch body positive, body diverse porn, especially porn that mirrors your race, your body shape and size. Our, our, our arousal is plastic, it has plasticity, but that's part of how we get back to our own eroticism. It's also how we get back to seeing our own body as erotic and reconnecting with ourselves. Don't, don't undervalue that. Oh, we gotta take a little break and then we'll come back, keep talking about how to reconnect with ourselves and our eroticism. Um, yeah, and if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page because later in the show we'll be gliding into those. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. Stick around because we'll be right back. All right, we're back and we're talking about how to reconnect with ourselves and our eroticism. Time has let it drift, maybe other priorities, exhaustion, pandemic, our relationship to our body. So we're kind of just talking about basic things. Like first off, think about what it was like before the pandemic. That's a starting point. It's, it's changed. That's okay, it always changed. We're moving on from that, but what's the starting point? What was your initial sexuality like? More asexual, more partnered sexual, more solo sexual, all of those are healthy, appropriate positions. There's no right way. Then we were reminding ourselves, we have to carve out time for this and it will have so much joy and meaning when we get there. Planning something, carving out time for something doesn't take away the value of it. We get tickets for movies and baseball games and sports events and concerts and uh, we, we, we know we might be knowing what we're gonna order on the way to the, the donut or ice cream shop. So we're always planning ahead, we're always carving out time. We leave the office a little bit early to swing by the bakery, whatever it is. It's still full of tons of joy and pleasure when we get there, but it's been planned and set aside. It still has meaning and value. Don't knock this when we do that with self or other. Also, we're giving ourselves a chance to let our bodies be where they are. They will always be changing. We cannot always have the body we think we need to have. And we're also acknowledging we have to be looking at diverse bodied porn as well to keep ourselves seeing those kinds of bodies, especially making sure we're fantasizing and watching porn that reflects the kind of body we have and our partners have. That's how we keep ourselves erotically connected to that. Please do not think that those things don't matter they do but your body's probably changed and if it hasn't it will we got to get more familiar with that sex is not just about 
penetration and orgasms. It's bigger than that. And sex is not just about having to feel great about the body we have. We have to be familiar with having sex at all different stages as illness, medications, mental health, aging, all sorts of different things will always change our bodies. Then we also have to have an experimental attitude. Again, change, 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 change. Sex is open and diverse, right? Be open to where, maybe where you're at now. Maybe you don't want penetration. Maybe that feels tiring and exhausting. Or maybe you want some new form or different kind of sex because of where you've grown or what you've shifted into. But just be open, you know? Also, weigh in on the senses. I say this every time this topic comes up. Start paying attention to what am I seeing around me? What am I wearing? What do I need to wear to feel attractive? A lot of guys don't know how to answer that question. What do I want to see my partner in if I'm having partnered sex? What do I want to smell? Do I want to light candles or bring in flowers? What do I want to hear? Or what sound do I hear? Do I need to drown a sound out? Do I want to bring a sound in like a certain kind of music? But pay attention to the senses. What am I smelling? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I looking at? What am I touching? What kind of fabrics? Do I want to bring in toys to amp up some pleasure and arousal or to make it kinkier? Do I want it to just be focused on me or just focused on my partner? Do I want to do it in a different room at a different time in a different way? Do you want to do some role role playing? Do you want to bring in some costumes? Whatever you can do to tweak it to make it fun, but we're re-engaging. We're figuring out who we are now. This might be a powerful way to move into deeper and closer levels of more honest intimacy with yourself or partner. If you're more sexual than you realize you've been in the past, lean into that. Hey, honey, my sex drive is amplified. And if you're solo, this is time to find vaccinated partners to start getting back out into hookup culture in the sex world. Maybe it's time to start dating. But all of this means we have to have a connection to ourselves and our own eroticism because that's part of relationship and dating. So again, what do you feel sexy wearing? That is part of us being aroused or getting aroused is feeling comfortable not only in our body, but also with how we're presenting ourselves and what it is we feel we are presenting to a partner. So check in on that. What do you need to wear? What do you need to do to feel attractive and to attract? Also movement. Movement's a really good way to get ourselves back into our body. It doesn't even have to be sexual movements, yoga, dancing, stretching. It, it brings us back in. We can feel our muscles, right? We can feel ourselves in our body. We can feel our genitals, a lot of hip movement, bringing ourselves back into our bodies, back into the moment. Any kind of, any kind of exercise and movement will do that. Dancing is great for that, right? And then also not afraid to talk about it. I want people to talk more openly about sex appropriately with the people that want to be spoken to about it, but with our friends, but especially our partners. Sit down and talk to your partner about what you miss, what you don't miss. Again, like we were saying in the last segment, part of building a relationship that is a fair proof, part of building a healthy relationship that has happiness and sustainability, a part of building a, a, a relationship that honors everyone's mental health is making it the kind of relationship that can tolerate talking things through. I've shared this with you on the show before. A lot of things my clients bring up, I say to them, go tell that person. Only they have the answer and they need to be brought into this conversation. Let them weigh in on it. Let them express themselves. Let them know they can talk about it. Sex is one of those topics. If you're in a relationship where you can't talk to your partner about sex, where you want to be touched, how you want to be touched, what turns you on, if you don't know how your partner likes to be touched, what turns them on, time to have the talk. Hey, I realize we never really talked that openly about our sexuality. Moving forward, I want that kind of sex positive of adult relationship because I've learned through Dr. Chris that if we can talk about things like sex, we can talk about anything. So it's really important that we sit down and talk about the kind of sex we're having. Are you happy? Are you not happy? What do you want to change? What should we work on? I'll let you know what I think. I would love it if you'd start doing this to me. I'd like it if we stopped doing that. This is how I orgasm the best. Like bring yourself up, bring yourself in. And then it tells your partner, I'm a safe partner for you to come to and talk to me in that way. But this matters. And that's what bums me out about sex. We disregard it as though it's some small minor thing that we only do when we're alone at home, in bed, or naked. It's like, no, it's everywhere. It's everything. How you touch your partner, what you wear, how close you stand to them, how close you don't stand, how close you stand to others. It's really important for us to feel good in our erotic body. But all of that does mandate that we're only having sex with safe partners. So that's the final caveat. Make sure you're only having sex with people that are full of integrity and will take care of you. Even if we don't know their name and it's a fling and it's pitch black, we still want to feel cared for and taken care of because every time we engage another person even if it's just a random hookup we are left off afterwards feeling better about ourselves and our bodies and sex and the world or worse off so make sure it's not just consent that everyone said yes make sure it's also compassion and care which means we all want to do it but we're also aware of the impact and it's going to be a positive one or at least neutral no one's going to be harmed socially emotionally or physically right 
And that's why we're not having sex with people that are in monogamous relationships, because that's to be part of creating harm for the monogamous partner that isn't aware that this is happening back at home, right? We're not doing that anymore. We're moving, we're moving forward with a lot, a lot more ethics, right? Uh, more, more solid, profound, grounded ethics. All right, so we're going to take a little break, and we'll be back. Uh, past episodes of Loveline, as always, are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. They're all there. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be gliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for, a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And uh, before we get to those DMs, I thought I'd share some interesting new stuff. I mean, this one is just a funny moment. Some of the things that people put time uh, and energy into is amazing. Uh, there's an article about the strongest signal that a woman is flirting. I think the thing that bums me out about that is everyone flirts differently. And uh, not everyone's going to flirt the same. Uh, but you should see some of these horrible things that are coming out of this. Um, they're mainly talking about a lot of gestures and expressions. It's so outdated and corny. I can't even, can't even say much more. Sesame street though. This was really profound. Sesame street introduces a married gay couple with a daughter. I love this. Dave, his husband, Frank and their daughter, Mia are being welcomed to Sesame street. All right. Why? Cause that's part of a family unit that exists. Can only imagine the homophobes and bigots that are losing their mind. Cause God forbid their children understand what's really happening in the world and develop care and compassion for the multitude of ways that families and love can express themselves. Like my God, ah. um, what else we got going on? Well, there's a lot of uh, discussion about the generational clash happening at pride. It's pride month. And uh, it's a good sign. That means everyone's coming together. We, there's a lot to flush out. Look, everyone th sees things differently. One of the first things that was brought up was people saying, we don't want kink at Pride. Why? What do you think Pride's supposed to be about, y'all? It was a uh, protest started by women of color that were trans sex workers. Trans sex workers of color were defending the community from pol violent police attacks. And Pride is to build community to occupy space, to come together to demand rights, and to celebrate. It's not to try to say we're like straight people. It's not to have respectability. It's to say we are different. We have our own culture. It's just as meaningful, and we, des and we demand rights. And kink people have a right to be there and to also demand rights. Your sexuality, as creative or diverse as it is, does not, not make you any less of a human. Just like being a sex worker is a legitimate career choice. And sex workers also deserve respect and care. Thank you, Portland, for trying to get it decriminalized. We're still trying to do it in other states. But with the decriminalization of marijuana and soon other drugs so people can actually get treatment they need if they want it, so maybe this will get in there too. But um, everyone has a right to be there. We're not just weeding out the people that don't fit the agenda. HRC historically was getting a lot of backlash because they weren't really trans supportive and was run by a lot of white gay cis, uh, cis white gays. And now they've been forced through pressure to be a little more inclusive. That's great. That's been happening. But pride is for everyone. Pride is not just for the gym bodied white cis people. Okay. The kinky people are allowed to be there too. The disabled people are allowed to be there as well. The fat people are allowed to be there as well. And so are the sex workers. It's for everyone. Because if it's about equality, that means everyone, not just the people that you don't think are worthy of respect. And so the kink people are allowed to be there. And I know it makes a lot of other people uncomfortable. Well, then it's not the right event for you because this is inclusive. We don't turn our back on anyone from the community. That's not what we do. We don't punch down. We lift as we climb. And we're not free until all of us are free. And all levels of violence sustain other levels of violence. You cannot complain about a level of discrimination waged against you and then wage discriminatory practices against someone else behind you. Okay, you can't say I want gay rights and then say, but not for them. It doesn't work like that. Grow up. So we need to get better and we need to be more accommodating. I'm thankful for that. Also, yet again, looking at another article about us, all these these interesting articles trying to get um, anxiety going about sex robots. Will sex robots take over? Now, this one's a sex robot with a bionic penis, and it's gonna that can be programmed gay is coming soon. What does that mean, programmed gay? Um, ah, the original was designed with a bisexual flavor. The company's now working on its first ever male sex robot, Henry, 
and is creating artificial intelligence that will allow customers to program the robot's sexual orientation. Robots are not going to take over. I like the idea of robots because they provide yet an even more extensive sexual experience for those that for whatever reason due to disability or, dis or problematic desirability politics are not able to find a partner. So I'm glad they have access to that. But it will never feel or respond in the same way that a human body does. And so they're not going to replace. They're just going to add new, new, new uh, access points to people and also a way for people to explore if they have sexual interest that a partner's not into or whatever may be the case. I'm all about all these different options, but we don't need to panic. They're not going to replace people. Sex robots are not going to take over. Um, we're going to be okay. And uh, we'll kind of close out on this one. A new study says that one in five young adults say they're not straight. Yeah, more and more and more of this coming. More young, more youngins are not identifying in terms of gender or sexuality. They want these more open-ended labels. So just because they're saying I'm not straight doesn't mean they're claiming they're gay. They're just saying maybe fluid, maybe explorative, maybe pan, maybe flexible. I don't know yet. I love that. I love that because all of us are a lot more than the word gay or straight. Our sexuality is a lot bigger than what we think it is. But there's so many social pressures and forms of shame and policing that we are buried under that it's really hard to fully embody our true sexuality in its totality, even gender. A lot of people haven't investigated their gender or their gender choices. It would serve all of us to do that. Why do I wear what I wear? Why do I go by what I go by? Why do I do what I do? Because culture has told me we diagnose you as a male at birth and this is the only thing you have access to. Why do I wear the colors I wear? It's a really interesting exploration. Um, all right, we're gonna take a little break. When we come back, we're gonna glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. Taking a little break, but we'll be back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast we really need new phones t-mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iphone 15s and each line is only 25 dollars a month new iphone 15s it's better over here. only at t-mobile get four iphone 15s on us and four lines for 25 bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medella, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we're back. Now it's time to glide into those DMs. This one says Hey, Dr. Chris, things are almost all the way open now, and people are without masks. That is true. I can't help but feel anxiety. And when someone coughs, I can feel myself getting grossed out and stressed. Is this normal? 100%, I feel that way as well. I'm still wearing my mask. I'm still not out in the world fully. I'm trying to slowly reconnect in certain spaces with certain people. But yes, it's very understandable that you're feeling some anxiety or triggered when someone coughs or isn't wearing a mask. Stay away from them because you don't want germs. Because even if it's not COVID, you still don't want the flu. 
right? And when people cough, they are expelling germs and bacteria and viruses out into the air. We should really be wearing masks during flu season, covering our mouths, staying home when we're not feeling well, keeping a little bit of space from people. Yeah, we've learned a lot about viruses. I mean, I feel like I'm literally an official virologist now. I feel like I know everything. I've studied so much. Not literally, but um, but yeah, you should worry. <laughs> There's still strains out there. People still are getting COVID. Vaccines aren't 100%. Please go get them. They will reduce the severity. They will keep you alive. But it's not 100%. And I have clients, I have two clients that actually did contract COVID after the fact, after getting vaccinated. So like wear protection, stay away from people coughing, get your vaccines. There are new strains, still be thoughtful, still meet people outside, smaller numbers. I don't recommend going to big events and concerts. I don't. If it's outdoors, I'm still worried. So you won't see me at things like that, but I appreciate that some people are comfortable or ready. God bless. But um, yeah, your, your anxiety makes sense. Look, most of the time what people have anxiety around is often very reasonable. And I don't want someone to find false safety. I'm all about reality. I'm not gonna tell someone something safe when it's not. I don't know who you're around, where you're going. Um, you might be in an area where people really politicize vaccines and haven't gotten them. I have a friend who lives in Texas and I have a friend who lives in Florida, two areas where people are not taking it seriously. The governors and mayors never mandated mask wearing. People have not been getting vaccinated and they should worry when someone coughs near them. I would be horrified. That's, that's reality-based. That's not catastrophizing. That is not a cognitive distortion. That is not a mental health issue. Your anxiety around this is not a mental health issue. Um, so from a mental health perspective, I got nothing to tell you other than it's very reality-based and that is within mental health. What you do about it is your personal decision-making, you know? But from a mental health anger angle, there's nothing disordered in that thought process. There was a pandemic and we're still in it. We're still looking, look at what's going on over in India. That is not resolved. People are still traveling. Borders are open. You know what I mean? Uh, Canada's still got that stuff down on lockdown, um, although that's going to change soon. But yeah, the world's not safe. It never was. <laughs> like there's a healthy level of reality in your anxiety. So anyway, I'm not trying to spike anyone's anxiety who didn't have any, but like, yeah, the worry's very legit. That's not a mental health issue. I'm not going to help you like resolve that. But um, wear a mask, keep space, and you'll be fine. You know what I mean? Follow the protocol. They're still saying that. Remember, just because the government's opening things up in businesses doesn't mean all is well. Um, and that's part of the difficulty, right? Is that um, we still got to get our basic needs met. Still got to participate to some extent in the world. You're watching people do things that maybe you're not ready for. That starts to normalize. You start to feel pressured. People are you know, giving you a hard time for not participating and you're feeling overwhelmed. But that's when you stand in your truth. That's when you stand in your boundaries. That's when you stand in your mental health and you say, I'm going to go with what makes sense to me. I'm not going to follow the herd, right? because everyone's about normality and conformity and assimilation. You're like, I'm gonna go with what makes sense to me. That's the mental health perspective. So sit tight, trust me, I'm thankful for the moving forward of all this. I'm ready to get away from this topic, but it's still something that's woven in, so we still gotta talk about it. Um, however though, on tomorrow's show, we're not gonna be talking about this. We're gonna be talking about how to not be passive aggressive, which I think is actually a really funny topic because everyone hates having that label applied to them. But we'll talk about uh, how we might all have a few little sprinkles of that in us and how to be more assertive, which is the opposite of passive aggressive. And then also how to uh, bring sex positivity into our life. If you got any uh, DMs for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Anything you got a question about or a topic you want me to cover or drop deeper into, producer Alex will get me that. And uh, past episodes of Loveline are over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it, and bam, there they are. And uh, the DMs are brought to you by Astroglide. So check out their product line, adding lube to your sex life, whether with self or others, is always a vast improvement for pleasure and performance. And as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night. Gliding into the DMs.